Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. We should have a blooper reel, we shouldn't should we? Because reel. clearly we um, we are bloopering all of the time. It's take seven. Take 28. Uh, good. No, it's take seven. I counted. Uh, I was take seven. Hello there and welcome to The Kindness Project. I'm joined by a girl who loves a sit-down hug. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm joined, and I'm joined by a man who said we podcast at 7am and now it's closer to 8pm. You know what? We shouldn't podcast late at night because our most ridiculous episodes always come when we're both a little bit tired. So, so it's either like early in the morning or late at night, like Barry and Beryl. When we came up with Barry and Beryl, that was, um, I think we'd recorded five podcasts on the trot and it had all just gone a bit mad. Yeah, and the phone went off and all of a sudden we were like, oh! Yeah, even the phone made us laugh. Anyway, um, can you let everybody know... Where they can get in touch with us. Right, take two of this again. Take, take two, this. yeah, take two. Um, so if you'd like to follow us, or I don't know, you already subscribe. Uh, probably if you press the <laughs> subscribe button, but you can already find how to subscribe to us if you're listening to this. That's fun. But if you want to follow us on social media, we have Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm adding more trouble to my load because I don't actually know what the Instagram handle is. I'm pretty sure it's just The Kindness Project. Twitter is at Ola Kindness. If you search The Kindness Project in the Facebook search bar, it will come up. We have an email, Ola at thekindnessproject.co.uk, and the website is www.thekindnessproject.co.uk. Uh, we accept emails, messages, um, um, WhatsApp? No, I'm not giving my mobile number out. No, I'm um, I have <coughs> a personal Twitter. I think it's probably linked to the. No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's Charlotte J Dames, and my one is Chris Dames. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got loads of ways that you can get in touch. Yeah. Um, and we are looking for um interviewees at the minute, yes. aren't we? So um, we've had uh, um a bunch of amazing interviewees over the years we've done the kindness projects um people who have got netflix shows about kindness have written books about kindness um have done amazing stuff and charities and social enterprises and and you know all the just a bunch of amazing people doing amazing things in the world. Um, unfortunately, so, we've run out of amazing people that we know. Yeah. So now we need amazing people that you know. Exactly. Yeah. So who do you know who's just a little bit amazing, and we can interview, and we'd like to share that that story because believe it or not, and this the start of this podcast <clears throat> clearly isn't indicative indicative of it, um, but we're quite popular. Um, High five, not on a podcast. No, again. no, if you make the high, high five, five. High fives don't work on a podcast. The high five isn't for them, it's for us. Oh, right, okay, it's for us. Also, if you make it loud enough, it doesn't matter. Okay, let's do a loud high five. Did Aww. you hear that high five, listeners? Email in, let us know if you heard that high five. Um, with the hashtag, social media, hashtag, did you hear the high five? <laughs> um, anyway, the question of the podcast, as you know, because we've done quite a lot of these, every single um, podcast, we have a little question um, that we ask people. And nice little question. No, no it isn't it. <laughs> you know what? I can't believe. I mean, the fact that you did that when you were five and you're 17 now and that still comes up. You know what I think of that? No, 
nice. It's nice, isn't it? Have a good time. Have a good time. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. Occasionally I slip up and I go, yeah, it's nice. And then someone looks at me and I have to go, isn't it? But but the, the challenge you've got is, do you ever do, a, like, the problem I've got is I've always got to recognise, like, our in-jokes and our conversations aren't, like no, not everybody knows what those in jokes or conversations are. You know, if I mentioned Barry or Beryl to somebody um, uh, out in the street, they wouldn't have a clue unless they were listeners of the podcast. If you hear, and us if they were, about... if they were listeners of the podcast, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, today's um, question of the podcast is actually linked to um, nice, isn't it? Because one of my favourite memories from your childhood was you saying nice isn't it mm. now I've got loads of positive memories from when you were a kid um, but the question of the podcast is what's your favourite childhood memory particularly around holidays so what do you think um, hmm, you put me on the spot here. I didn't know this question was coming. What have you done? I've asked you a question, like I do every week. You have to give me time to go back in time yeah. and remember these things, right. um, because my me- memory is not Stella. Yeah. Um, Stella? Is it more uh, Peroni? Um, anyway. I don't drink. Um, I know you don't. But you still know the brand of beers, don't you, surely? Oh, Corona? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I remember something about stocks and Corona. I remember something about Corona being not that great. I don't know what. I don't know what the connection is. Anyway, (laughs) um, the the, the weird thing is I never went abroad Mm. for a holiday um, until I was 17 years of age. Yeah, no. I went. I went to France once at school. Yeah. Um, but literally, we went to Calais um, and drove back, and that was it. That was my. Did you go to the wine place? That was no. I didn't go to the wine place. I was like ten. Why would I go to the wine? Oh, right. This is an irresponsible teacher. Right. School trip, ladies and gents. You know where we're going. Calais Wine Superstore. Yeah, but I've been. Go and get your notes signed by your parents. I mean, I was brought up in East London, but it wasn't that bad. Yeah, but I went to the Calais Wine Superstore when I was a kid. What? <laughs> Mum took you to the Calais Wine Superstore. That is so. That is Parenting 101. <laughs> you know, Just like I they... wasn't allowed to drink anything, but yeah. I, I re- was buying wine, so... I, I've, I recently read, uh, read a book by Philippa Perry, who's Grayson, the artist Grayson Perry's mm. wife, wife, and an amazing child psychologist. And she wrote a book about how to like be a better parent and stuff like that. Amazing little book. Um. N- Nowhere in that book does it say take the kids to the Calais wine superstore. I mean, I, I mean, she missed a trick, didn't she? Clearly, take your kids to the wine superstore, <laughs> get them started young. Yeah. So, so are you saying that um, no, one of your favourite memories as a child is going to the Calais no, wine superstore? I barely superstore. remember it. I just remember sitting on the trolley. No, you're uh, pissed, were you? <laughs> I don't drink. Um, now we Not know anymore. Why. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny days, we're going to the Calais Wine Super... No, anyway. No, um, you should have said Wine Superstore in Calais because then it would have rhymed and... Yeah, that's true. You really I, need to work I, on I your lyri- lyrical I, I, I tell you, I tell you what I did enjoy as a kid. Trips to the Calais Wine Superstore. <laughs> what, what I enjoyed as a kid, weirdly, and I've been back as an adult since, not enjoyed the experience so much, but then... <laughs> 
Butlins. Don't I really know. don't like Butlins. No, you're not. Smells funny. Well, we stayed at their new hotel when it opened, and it smelled a bit um, mm. oily, didn't dodgy. it? Dodgy. <laughs> dodgy. Dodgy. Uh, sorry, Butlins. We we apologise. If you would like to sponsor us, um, you can't because you stink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, anyway. From my one experience, <laughs> Butlins doesn't smell great. Maybe it was just one building in particular that I just didn't like the smell of, but, you know, I'm not taking any chances with Butlins again. Sorry, Butlins. <laughs> you, you, um, you, Charlotte's gone into one room, she just smelt it, walked away, she's never coming back. <laughs> anyway. Oh, God. But the Calais White Room still should be there with a shot. Right. I don't even drink, but like... Right, okay, so are you going to give us your favourite childhood on any um, memory or not? No, I don't remember any. Okay. Well, maybe next week we can come back <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. Anyway, shall we get on with the show? Yeah, do it. Amazing. So this week we've got an interview with the amazing Melissa. Melissa um, runs Caring Cooks of Jersey, and they do amazing work um, helping... Um, helping children make sure that they're fed well and and mm. and have got good nutrition and on it we talk uh, on the interview we talk about um the need for um uh, th- her service and and the charity in a place like jersey uh, the work she does um and much much more nice. shall we listen to the first part of the interview let's do it Hi, Melissa. How are you? Are you having a good day so far? Yes, very good. Thank you. Good. What have you been up to today? Um, Oh, gosh. It's a busy day in our office because it's always very varied. Um, We're doing recruitment. We're talking menus. um, But actually, I'm really looking forward to tomorrow. I like you. I've had a busy week as well. Yeah, I've, I've had a I've had a good day. I've I've run a I've run an event for a bunch of people this morning. That was good. Um, normally Fridays are my day off. Um, I've I've gone down to I've tried to go down to a four day week, but because we're busy at the minute, I'm I'm doing this five day week business. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. It's you know I need to get back to my to to, to my short weeks, but all Definitely. good. Anyway, we're not here to talk about my early uh, my my work shy attitudes. Clearly, we're here to talk about caring cooks of Jersey. So before we start talking about the charity, tell me a bit about you. Uh, well, firstly, thank you for the opportunity to um, to do this for the Kindness Project. So I'm Melissa Nabrega. I'm founder and chief exec of Caring Cooks of Jersey. Um, so I'm 45. I'm a mother of an eight and 10 year old that has experienced homeschooling and doesn't want to do it again. <laughs> um, I'm married to Delio, who works in IT. Um, I've lived in Jersey for 27 years um, and it is a lovely place to live. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the the downsides of living here. Um, And I'm passionate about everything to do with childhood nutrition, really. Amazing, great stuff. You know, you know what I like. I like Jersey. I mean, we were over seeing because, as you know, Louise, who's my cousin, connected us, so we could we could have a chat. Um, and I I like Jersey. Um, the weird thing is, every time I travel to Jersey, I just have a, a really um, bad travel experience. Like oh, getting no. like getting to the place. So the first time I flew from City Airport in East London to uh, to Jersey and. And there was some really bad turbulence that I completely slept 
through and I was only told by by the guy next to me you know when you wake up and you go yeah that was all right and apparently it was a really bad flight but when we came over with the girls a couple of years ago um uh we got the ferry and the ferry because we wanted uh, so I've got friends in Guernsey as well so we did Jersey Guernsey and and then and then back to the UK and the ferry crossing was a strange one it was there was yeah it was a bit it was a bit shaky Bad. In fact, I can't get on that ferry. Every time I get on it, I'm a bit like you. I have a very bad experience. I just won't get on that ferry. It's, you know what? It's weird, isn't it? I, I didn't expect it. I expected it to be like sort of getting the ferry to France, but I suppose because yeah. it's going in a different direction, the the sort of tides hit a bit differently, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad oh. it's not just me. It's not you. <laughs> Good stuff. And talk to me a bit about homeschooling. You're you're glad that the kids are back to school, right? Yeah. So, actually, to be fair to my husband, I didn't do homeschooling. So, obviously, we locked down on March the 20th for 15 weeks, and they did periodically go back in June. But I didn't do the homeschooling because I just can't do it. It, co- it causes me so much stress. Um so my, my amazing husband managed to juggle all of his work time to get it done. But it's like what you've got to be really diligent about it and you've got to have a structure and actually be really kind to yourself because just do it in the morning and then let them do whatever they want to do in an afternoon. And some days didn't do anything. Um, it, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but some schools over here did actual Zoom classes for primary school children, but we didn't have that luxury and everything came through on Seesaw. And then we literally had to do all the homeschooling, whereas it would have been great if they'd have done this kind of environment with the teacher teaching. I'm not quite sure why they didn't do that, but I suppose they weren't really set up to do it on the first lockdown, whereas they probably would have done it better this time. So, yeah, so lockdown one, they didn't. Um, and we had sort of um, sort of emailed packs that we worked through with Sophie. Uh, now they're doing Zoom classes. So uh, about three and a half hours in the morning and then um, a, a body of work to do um, later on. So that seems to be working uh, uh, better. Um, and it means that we haven't got to be the bad guys all the time because the teacher's there saying, Sophie, come on, let's get their work done. So yeah. I'm 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 happy about it. I'm happy about it. I get to be fun dad again, which is the cool. job that I I can do. Um, uh, I'm not sure about strict discipline disciplinarian dad. I do it when I need to, but yeah, uh, but yeah, I, I don't I don't particularly enjoy it. So talk to me a bit about Karen Cooks of Jersey. So um, I used to work for Lloyd's Bank for quite a long time in marketing, and after I had my first child, I used to take him to little playgroups, and um, obviously that was nice, and I went back to work, and then I had my second child, and I went back to the same playgroups, and I'd got experience of weaning and all of that kind of childhood food journey, and when I went to the playgroups with my second child... A lot of the mums were saying, you know, what it's amazing that you've pureed all your own food. And then they were actually saying, most of the time we can't afford to feed our kids because we're living in poverty. Um, and I was really shocked about it because Jersey's considered an affluent island. No one thinks there's any poverty here. And I think I was very blind to it because I'd had a very privileged life working in finance. I'd never yeah. lived in poverty. Um so I went home and I said to my husband, like, I really just can't believe that round the corner is a playgroup where parents can't afford to feed their kids. 
And at the same time, there was a, a thing called the Casserole Club that had launched in Tower Hamlets in London. And it was to prevent social isolation for the elderly by a neighbour delivering a, an extra portion to an elderly neighbour. So I thought, oh, what can I do for those families that are in poverty um, in line with the Casserole Club? So I put a social media post out to say, um, can I help a family on a Saturday with a meal? And the local press jumped on top of it, and which I wasn't really expecting and didn't really want. I just wanted to do it for me. Um, so that one meal turned into a network of volunteers across the island that wanted to do the same. Amazing. It is, it is amazing. And so the weekly meal service was born and for three years it was run purely on volunteers and I was connecting families to um, volunteers, people in the community that wanted to do it. But actually, I think it was two years. I think it was probably one, one and a half. And But what transpired was this whole data protection thing of protecting vulnerable families. So we formed as a charity in 2014 Um and kind of professionalise the weekly meal service. Yeah. Um, so that's our founding service. And when I started, I didn't really expect it to be what it is today. Um, but it is what it is today. And it is amazing. And we've grown from there. So what we realised during that first year of the weekly meal service is that many parents didn't have budgeting skills, meal planning skills, even the skills to cook a meal from scratch. So 42% of, of adults in Jersey feel they don't have the skills to cook a nutritious meal from scratch, which is according to a government lifestyle survey. Um, and similarly, 42% of those people, which may be the same people, can't afford to buy fresh fruit and vegetables. So that's half the population are in this scenario where they, yeah. it is, it's massive, where they can't physically put a nutritious meal on the table. So we then launched our adult cooking program. So from a, a local secondary school, we took over their home ec room and we taught 150 parents basic skills. Um, we would still like to do that today, but unfortunately we lost our cookery room. So that's kind of been yeah. on the hold for a few years. But going back to why I did it in the first place, it's around children because children are our future. If you want to sing a Whitney Houston song, but we need to make sure that you know, we're not against singing on the podcast. I mean, we might have to get the licensing rights to. <laughs> I don't know how much that will cost us, but, um, but yeah, let's avoid. Now, now I'm thinking about the expense of using a Whitney Houston song <laughs> on our podcast. I'm, I'm worried. Um, but, but Russ, just just to propose it, yeah. I'll put that Spotify on. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. But but you know, uh, you know, being being parents yourself, you you invest time, effort, energy in your kids because they you want them to have good lives, and you I think you understand the impact of a good start in life, don't you? That's the thing, and particularly when it comes to nutrition as well. Absolutely. So um, the United Nations, um, there's human rights of a child and access to nutritious food every day is a human right of a child. And so many children can't access that because of their parents' financial or living circumstances, which isn't necessarily the parents' fault. Um, and we, sh we need to move away from this blame culture that if you can't afford them, don't breed them. Like, that is just not the case. And particularly during COVID, like... We had we did a, a community meal service during lockdown and I was 
absolutely horrified about the people that were coming to us for help. They were these were local business owners that, yeah. in a normal day, would be considered affluent. They'd literally lost everything overnight. Yet well, we still live in this judgmental environment. Well, it's it's interesting because I, I think the point you make about not knowing that this goes on is an interesting one. And we interviewed, funny enough, it was uh, last Friday. We interviewed uh, a lady who runs um, or, or runs a branch of a charity called Hygiene Bank that um, donates hygiene equipment, uh, high, like you know, and simple stuff: deodorant, soap, you know, uh, sanitary um, uh, goods to um, to to people in Doncaster. So she runs the the, the Doncaster Hygiene Bank. And she said last year um, she gave out uh, over 40 tonnes of um, of hygiene equipment. Now, from my perspective, living in my little bubble, you go, surely people can afford high and and what, what you what you realise, and certainly one of the benefits that I've got out of running the podcast over the last couple of years is being number one grateful. You know, we're lucky, right? You know, we're in a position where where we've got luck. But also more conscious that there is a there the the people who need our help aren't any different to us, you know, maybe a decision away. Do you know what I mean? And it's just being compassionate enough to say, yeah. how do we help those people? And I bet that when you met those parents at the nursery, you know, the perception and the reality are two different things, aren't they? Absolutely. And you can't judge a person based on their circumstances. And often it's a, it's a circle of... Yeah you know, domestic abuse or whatever, that actually a person can never get out of. So the the root cause of it might go back generations, but we never, ever ask people's circumstances because, quite frankly, I don't care. If you need help, we'll help help you. Absolutely. But what one thing we did learn was, whilst it's great to offer help, that's a short-term measure and more of a tactical plaster as opposed to helping them long-term and giving them the tools so whilst we did the cooking programs, um, I got chatting to a local primary head teacher. He's now actually lives in China and runs an academy there. But he said, and he was he ran the school that was attached to the playgroup that I went to. So he knew all about this abject poverty in this area. And he said, look, can you do something with the school? And I said, well, I'd, I'd love to. He's like, let's put a garden. They had a beautiful outdoor space that was been left to rack and ruin so we worked with a local corporate and we developed the kitchen garden project and then he's like oh can you come and do a bit of cooking and at which point I thought I'm happy to come and do a bit of cooking but why don't we try and do something a bit more powerful and a bit more um you know long term and sustainable so I worked with him and one of my amazing team Rachel to develop the let's get cooking program And as far as I know, it's the first um, in the UK. Um, It's curriculum based. It's embedded in the curriculum. It's done in school time. Um, And it teaches children in year one to six basic cooking skills. So they leave year six with 30 recipes under their belt and a little bit more knowledge about what they should and shouldn't be eating for their future health. And whilst the hope is that they go to secondary school and they make much better choices in the school canteen, unfortunately, then they go through puberty and make really bad choices. Sugar rush. But what, what we are starting to see now is that those early skills that are embedded in their heads when they're young, they do come back around when they're older. Yeah. Um. So we do lose them in teenage years, but the hope is that 
we get them back. So we. So what's help me help me understand what the some of the thirty recipes are. So um, they're all skill based. So the little ones in year one who are six or seven, they come in and it's more of an assembly thing. So they make um, prawn and tomato lettuce cups. So they just put the prawns and they make the sauce. They make little. Um, Oh, else do they make cheese and tomato sandwich? So the great cheese and sliced tomatoes. <laughs> and then they progress. So in year four, they're making um, homemade burgers. And then in year six, which is the best year, they make um, homemade soup and soda bread. They use raw chicken and make chicken kebabs. And then on the last week, we have a celebratory week. So they make an afternoon tea which is normally done in a hotel, but obviously we've not managed to do that for a while. Um, and they make an afternoon tea with chefs and they learn hospitality skills. So that gives yeah, them skills. Yeah, service um, skills as well. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and it's a celebration and then they invite their parents to come and have an afternoon tea with them. So let me ask you a question, right? I My my diet at the minute is basically spinach and eggs um, uh, quite a lot because that's an omelette is the only thing I'm particularly good at cooking. Um, if you're an adult um, looking to learn more recipes, asking for a friend, Melissa, yeah, um, <laughs> where, where should you start? Do you know... My main go-to is BBC Good Food. I love their yeah. recipes on there. Weirdly, Cassie, my, my wife Cassie, loves BBC Good Food. It's, it's an amazing resource, isn't it? Yeah, or delicious.com or olive.com. Um, I mean, like most parents, my kids get so tired of the same thing. And I'm constantly, when I'm meal planning on Saturday, looking for new things. But... They like what they like, and kids yeah. are like, "Ooh, I don't like that." And and it's interesting. My sort of for me, and I love food, but to a certain extent, food is fuel. So the, um, so when I need more protein, but it's understanding those component parts to to you know why why do we eat when we should enjoy it, but it's also to to fuel our bodies, right? Yeah, and I think one common theme that we're seeing now is. Kids aren't growing up with a love of food. They go to a restaurant and don't appreciate all of the bits that's gone on to get that plate of food and where yeah, it's come yeah. from. So we talk about food provenance and how important it is to not eat hormone-fed meat and to buy local if you can. All of this stuff we talk about as well as basic cooking skills. Yeah, where does it come from? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, you know, we also talk about fizzy drinks so we have a lot of kids that have a can of coke every day um and they're picked up from school with that and that's not for us to judge the parents but we say why don't you just have it on a friday because yeah. it's it's not great for you and they're empty calories um and we talk about it in such a way that no one feels that they're judged they just it's thought-provoking more than anything Mm. Oh, um, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And I'll tell my friend to look at the Good Food <laughs> website. All right, I'm sure. I'm sure he or she might enjoy that. Um, talk to me. And again, when we speak to people who run charities, and uh, yeah, we've we've spoken to, to to a decent number across the across the podcast. There's always challenges, and the challenges tend to be unique to the charity. So talk to me about some of the challenges that you face um, on the island helping the vulnerable families you help. Yeah, so interestingly, we do face the same challenges that Marcus Rashford, for example, is having around food poverty. Um, one thing that we have as a challenge is we don't have school meals in Jersey, whereas it's the norm in the UK and the government fund universal infant free school meals. 
we've never had that here. So six and a half thousand kids plus secondary school kids sometimes have to take a packed lunch every day. Um, and unfortunately, it's whilst so we got into a pilot with the government two years ago to pilot primary school meals and it's going great guns and the hope is that it scales up. But the problem is, is we don't have in our education law food built into it. So there's no legal requirement for schools to make food happen at school. So it's currently a nice to have. We do so have an... In- help me understand then, education's funded. Yep. But the, the, the meals within schools aren't. They are funded currently under a pilot scheme. So... I've wanted to do this for a long time. So I went to a company in South Dorset to learn how they do it without having kitchens in every school. And I went to the States in 2017 and said, look, I've got this model, help me fund it and we can get it out. Two years it took me to get that across the line. They rejected the first round of funding and then they built it into the food and nutrition and obesity strategy. So between September 2009 and the end of this year, it's a government funded pilot that we do in three schools to give the data to them to show how successful and needed it is to scale it up across the island. But the challenges we do face is there's no infrastructure in any of the schools, bar the three we're in already, to be able to hold food and serve it and gotcha. clean after. So, um, yeah, we're hoping that the government will build it into their government plan and, and scale that up going forward. I suppose the other challenge is the the sort of gears of government tends to be slower than the need, doesn't it? So as you say, taking two years is probably pretty standard stuff for a, a local authority government. That, yeah, you know. absolutely. But I will say we've been very lucky. There's some really good champions in our government that are really behind all of this. and. Yeah. Just unfortunately, decisions aren't made by one person and yeah. they have to, it's just the way it is. It's, it's just, yeah, but yeah, as you, as you, I mean, but it's, a, it's I think uh, Marcus Rashford has shown this as well. It's about just doing, and, and you know, you know what's been really interesting about that? And I don't know how you, you feel about it. He's stayed really classy throughout and he's had some criticism um, yeah. for, for some reason for doing what he did. And he, he took that criticism and said, look, doesn't matter. I'm just going to carry on doing what I'm doing. Even if I'm not getting the funding I need, which eventually he's got, I'm going to promote people who are helping. And that, yeah. just that positive role model um, and showing it can be done has been has, has actually changed the debate significantly, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, this is my party line to people when people are mainly about government is, you can't expect government to solve every social issue that exists in the world. And actually, if you go back 200 years, you know, communities helped each other. And so what I actively promote kind of a a tri-working partnership. So if government help a little bit, charity help a little bit, a private investor comes in, how quickly can we mobilise things to happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that model is starting to get some traction here with um, with charities in the private sector. And it's it's working. And Jersey could be a test bed to make a lot of good things happen and create models that can go worldwide. Well, if, if that is the case, you're definitely coming back on the podcast to tell us all about that, because that would be that would be an amazing success, success story. Now, interestingly, one of the things that you talked about was that sort of um, – 
collective, uh, uh, you know, getting different parties together to work together. And I know that you've had a decent amount of support from companies in Jersey that have supported your your work. Talk to me a bit about that partnership. Um, and if you want to give a shout out to a company or a bunch of companies that help you, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I mean, we've had... We've had a, a, about three or four key corporate partners for a number of years, which is UBS, Ogier, um, and obviously they change their CSR policies, so they choose different charities. But we're really grateful because they supported us in the early days when we were in our infancy and not very well funded. Last year was a really big turning curve for us because on March the 20th, when those schools closed... I potentially had to lay off nine staff um, and they had kids to look after. So did you that, have furlough in Jersey? Um, it's it is it's payroll funding. So it's a bit different to furlough, but that didn't come in immediately either. Yeah. So that's been a slow burn and it's, it's working really well now. But at the beginning, we didn't have it. Um, so we sat in the office on the Wednesday, the 18th of March and said, right, what can we do to make sure we don't lose staff and they can feed their kids? And also what can we do to help our community? So we, within five days, pivoted our entire operation to do a community meal service. We've got a crowdfunder page up. We've done videos and everything. And um, we raised 12 grand on the crowdfunder, which was amazing. And then I remember going and sitting in a coffee shop one day thinking, oh, my gosh, what is going on in the world? And Investec phoned me, which is a local company, and they said, we want to give you 15 grand. And honestly, I burst into tears in the middle of the coffee shop because it was quite an emotive time. Um, So we were significantly really well funded last year and we did 11,000 meals to 293 households in 15 weeks. Amazing. Um, it, it was amazing. And, and at the time, and it was all done by volunteers delivering out and they put their own lives on the lives because no one knew what the virus was going to do then. They all used their own petrol, you know, their kids got involved. It was Amazing. So that was the amazing Melissa. We've got more from Melissa next week in part two of the interview. But I really enjoyed that. Yeah, me too. Aha, my time to shine. <laughs> Is it your time to shine? It's my, it's my time to shine. I, I thought the entire podcast was your time to shine. Yeah, I'm going to make you obsolete. Ready? Cheers. The end is never really the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. Like what? Like the artist last week questioned the podcast. Which was what? Uh, about quiz shows. About what? No, quiz I'm obsolete now. Go on, you, you take over. About quiz shows. Yeah, what about quiz shows? old quiz shows you bring back. But I, I can't make you obsolete <laughs> if you won't give me your stuff. Your material. Oh, oh so you want my material now, do you? Right, I do on. want your material, right. yeah. T- t- tell us what people's favourite quiz shows they okay. bring back are then. Okay, okay, okay. Sam Chilton said, I don't know what KF is. Uh, well, so I'm not obsolete anymore, am I? Clearly you still need me. KF, my friend, is Krypton Factor. Oh. And it's a show that uh, basically involved an assault course. Um observation it tested the different human skills that you can have okay you're not obsolete you're just vintage google (laughs) (laughs) 
you could have Googled that. Google, what's Kaif? Um, uh, Challenge Annika would be amazing. And Challenge Annika was amazing because like, they gave Annika 48 hours to build a school and she had to do it from like just getting local people to um, give their skills time and um, resources. resources to get that sort of stuff done. Um, Mark Wright has commented um, and he said his favourite is Banty Bank. But then he's made a bit of a strange comment and he's just said, just pop in. And I don't know what that's referenced to. I know what Blanky Blank is. I've I've never heard of uh, Just Pop In, Mark. You have to let us know what that one was. Uh, Mark O'Halloran had an amazing suggestion. Fun house, a whole lot lot of fun. fun. Prizes to everyone. Um, And there was a lot of love for Fun House. Steve Dan said, run around. Uh, Julie Wedge said, Blockbusters. I don't know what that is. I just know the... the what, uh, what, you've never heard of Blockbusters? The, the place that sold... No, not Blockbuster Video. Blockbusters the game. No. Right, it was a show where they had um, one uh, uh, individual against two. Right, and I've never, I never worked out why they had like unequal teams, um, and they had to. There was that hexagons, that, and you had to every time you got a um, question right, you got another uh, shape, and you had to make your way across the board like a weird question-related version of Connect Four. So why are we playing Trivial Pursuit and Connect Four all in one now? That, that is blockbusters, my friend. It's so so good. Um, uh, Andrew Berwick said he'd bring back the generation game. Oh, that's what that's like what me and you do here, isn't it? <laughs> well, we're, we're, well, you could argue that we're both of the younger generation. Um, Carol, Google, that's going to stick. Yeah, Car- Caroline Thompson said Will of Fortune. Carol Hussey said he, she absolutely loved the Krypton Factor. And Phil Fitzgibbons reckons Big Break or Gladiator. Now, oh, Gladiators. Gladiators is good. Gladiators is good. I love a bit of Gladiators. Um, Ian Brazier would bring back It's a Knockout. Francis Barrett said, Big Break, the snooker show, reminds me of my granddad. Um, Johnny Piper would bring back Cheggers Plays Pop. Um, I once met Keith Chegwin. Why? Um, it was a buttons, funny enough. <laughs> and he, uh, Did it smell funny? he, he hung me um, upside down <laughs> for some bizarre reason. <laughs> I have got a photo somewhere of Keith Chegwin and me. What, I'll do you by the ankles. I don't think he, in the picture he was holding me by the ankles. I think he'd put me down at this <laughs> point, at that point. But um, Fiona Mapergo said fame. I don't know if she's looking for it or that's the show. But that was a really quiz show. And then it all went a bit pear-shaped because Nathan Fryer said Tomorrow's World, which wasn't really a quiz show. Um, <laughs> was it got, not? I don't we, know what it is. We got it back on track, though. Um, uh, Dave Falls like... It, I tell you what it was. It was a show looking at the future and what technology would be in the future from the early eighties. Now, if you want something, now there were elements of it like predicting the internet. You know, I remember seeing the Tomorrow's World where they were talking about networks and you know communication and stuff like that. Yeah. And there was early. I mean, because because the early versions of the internet were around. You know from the 60s there were there was talk about sort of uh, an early version of the internet on tomorrow's world but some of the um suggestions they made about the future um were a bit wider the mark um like what, like uh, what? i can't remember I'd, I'd have to look at i'd have to youtube some 
uh, YouTube some tomorrow's world and tell you. Um, uh, but I don't think they predict, predict, predicted YouTube was uh, going to exist or tomorrow's world was going to be on YouTube. <laughs> um, Dave Ross, like said the generation game. Lorraine Hornsby said the adventure game, which was good. Nick Matthews said three, two, one, where genuinely one of the prizes was a rubbish bin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing. It was. It was. Um, uh, Mike Christie said, going for gold. And Nick Taylor, well, yeah, it was. It was called Dusty Bin. And it was a, it was a rubbish bin. Um, you know what I'd bring um, back? See, vintage Google. Um, what no, would you bring back? Nightmare. Oh, definitely bring back Nightmare. Um, I, I think there's a... And just imagine a proper like CGI version of Nightmare. That would be amazing. Didn't or we would go you... and see it live? We did. It wasn't the same, but it was like... It was it, still funny. It was still good fun. And they brought back some of the original actors, including the original Treyguard, which, yeah. was, which was amazing. And on that note, um, that's it for another podcast. We're done. We're done. Done and dusted. Done and dusted. We got through it. We made made it through. Have a lovely week, listeners. Uh, we'll see you next week for more of the Carnage Project. Bye. Bye. Bye.